Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to episode six of the podcast. Before we get started here, just want to bring your attention to something important. Kids Upfront Ottawa. They are an organization that provides experiences to deserving children and youth in the Ottawa area. They believe that all kids should have access to enriching experiences like arts, culture, and sporting events. And events like these help to foster feelings of inclusion and belongings in the children they help. So they reach children through their innovative program by distributing tickets, classes, and passes to more than 105 partner agencies in the Ottawa area. Kids Up Front Ottawa is doing another campaign where they ask you to help put hockey fans in stands. The Sens have two home games left for the month of February. They're taking on the Vancouver Canucks on February 27th and the Detroit Red Wings on February 29th. If you are not going to use tickets to those games or if you're so inclined, please consider donating those tickets to Kids Up Front Ottawa and they will make sure that a really deserving kid gets to go to these games and who knows, maybe you'll help make a Sens fan for life and you'll do something really positive for the community of Ottawa. So you can find Kids Up Front on Twitter at uh, Kids Up Front Ott, O-T-T, or you can find them at KidsUpFrontOttawa.com. Welcome. Welcome to Episode 6 of Internal Budget. We're six episodes in, six weeks in now. What a run it has been. And yet, we haven't been pulled off the air. Imagine that. We'll get through this real quick. We have a lot to get to today, so I don't want to waste too much time. The Senators retired Chris Phillips' number four jersey on Tuesday night, following that up with a 7-4 win over the Buffalo Sabres. Thursday yielded no such luck. Sens were completely decimated 5-1 by the Winnipeg Jets. Last night we'll talk about in a little more detail when I get to internal budget's first guest in just a second. Uh, Ottawa fell 3-0 to the Montreal Canadiens, lost Thomas Shabbat to injury. Not a fun one last night. But now with all that out of the way, folks... Internal budget for the first time in history. This is a record-setting day here at Internal Budget. It's a milestone day. We have our first guest. He needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. He is a staff writer and editor for Silver7Sends.com. He is one half of the awesome Ottawa Senators podcast that you should definitely check out. He does cost per point cast with Trevor Shackles. He's an analytics darling, and he also happens to be my birthday twin. Same day, same year, same everything. Folks, give it up for the one, the only, the incomparable Colin Cudmore. Colin, how's it going, man? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Thank you for being on. Um, so, obviously, this is our big trade deadline special. Trade deadline's on Monday. There's a lot of things that can yeah. or probably <laughs> should happen. Um, what we'll do, since it's Sunday afternoon right now, is I'll keep tabs on Twitter and everything. So, if, um, if anything happens, we can kind of talk about it as it happens. Yeah, um, and we'll get to all the trade deadline stuff in a sec. But the Sens did play last night, so we should talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Thomas Shabbat got injured last night in the first period on a hit from Brendan Gallagher. It was a pretty 
benign hit. Like there was really no malicious intent into it. I think he just went awkwardly into the boards. But yeah. I mean, you know, when it rains, it pours for an Ottawa team like this. <laughs> How do yeah, you think things sure. are going to go without yeah, Shabbat yeah. in the lineup? Yeah, it sounds like Shabbat's going to only be out for a little bit. Maybe even be back for the next game. So um, glad is glad is not resulting in anything major, like uh, like we saw the the Pesci uh, injury last night as well in the Toronto Carolina game. But uh, that ended up being a lot worse. So uh, glad Shabbat's doing all right. Um, yeah, I mean it, last night's game was. Uh, I mean, depending on how you look at the season, I mean it wasn't uh, exactly a positive result. But um, I mean, it's not like it's. It's, a high, it's not like the stakes are high for the Sens at this point in the season anyway no. like they are for the Habs. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing is, like, we just still want the Sens to be watchable, right? And I don't think... Basically, yeah. I don't think having Shabbat out of the lineup helps that <laughs> at all. Yeah. Uh, but a guy who does make them watchable every night is Brady Kachuk. And I mentioned this in the Silver 7 recap last night, but... Is there any way Brady Kachuk is not the captain of the Ottawa Senators at some point soon? Man, like, he, like he, he's going to be in a leadership role sometime soon. Yeah, yeah, like he willed he willed them back into the fight. The whole game, he was just he was spitting venom, man. He was so pissed off that they were down three nothing. They couldn't get anything going. What was really indicative of it to me was after the Savern and Sharat Sh- air quotes fight. And he got into it with Thompson, and he slammed his stick and went off the ice. Like, he was mad. And then at the end of the game, when he tried to get into it with Cousins, he was mad that nobody would fight him. Like, he was – if you look at his yeah. face, when he couldn't get a fight, yeah. he was mad. And, like, he went and he went by the Habs bench yapping at them. Like, I mean, everybody's saying, like, borrow for captain. And I guess from a leadership standpoint, a community standpoint, sure. But, I mean, nobody wills them into the fight every night like Brady Kachuk. Don't you agree? Like – Totally. Yeah, he, he was just comically, like, into it last night. Like, he, he's really already getting into that sense of rivalry, and I just you just you just really love to see it. And yeah. I just, I just hope that these teams one day will meet in the playoffs because seeing Brady in the playoffs is just going to be a whole different animal. Yeah, and the Sens were awful. They were awful last night. Oh, like, he, like, he was yeah. the only thing that made that game worth watching. Like, the only reason I kept flipping back and forth between that and the Hurricanes-Leafs game, which we'll get to in a sec, um... <laughs> was because I wanted to see who he was going to kill. <laughs> you know, like oh, I wanted to see what Brady there. was going to do. So, I mean, like, I don't know. You can't, you can't, there's no one else that should be captain of the team in my mind. Yeah. yeah. The, the other thing I want to shout out from uh, last night's game was uh, Josh Norris making his NHL debut yesterday. Uh, he's been sent down already back this morning along with Drake Batherson. But, I mean, it was a solid first NHL game. Uh, yeah. He seemed to play, um, he, he was playing on a line with Batherson too, so. It was interesting to see that DJ Smith was keeping that combo together. But, I mean, he, he had a couple decent individual chances. But, uh, I mean, about what you'd expect for someone who's dealing with nerves in, in their first NHL game. So. Of course. And they got to make sure he's eligible for the playoffs, too, right? For the Belleville playoffs. Yeah, like, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, all things considered, I thought he did well. He just no, – no Ottawa player could really get anything going last night. He had some nice shots and some nice chances. So he didn't look out of place, and I think that's the important thing, right? right? Yeah, for sure. And uh, speaking of a team that didn't really get anything going, do you want to talk about the Leafs? <laughs> of course I want to talk about the Leafs. <laughs> oh, my God. So the way I saw this happen was I was obviously watching the Sens game. and But I saw on Twitter, I saw Mrazek just get steamrolled by Clifford. Which, yeah. I mean, you know, I would lo- I'll would. i be the first one to point out if the Leafs do something dirty, but 
there was nothing he could really do there to avoid that. Like Morazic was right on top of him before he knew what was happening. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> so forty two year old kidney transplant survivor David Ayers, the Toronto Marlies Zamboni driver, comes into the game, allows two goals on the first two shots he sees. Um, so Carolina goes into the intermission up four to three. And Kelly Rudy's talking to Ron McLean, and Ron McLean says, is there anything Ayers can do at all? And and Rudy says, no, he's hopeless. The Leafs are probably uh, the Canes are probably going to lose 12-4. And wouldn't you know it, the Leafs on- somehow managed to only generate six shots in the third period. Ayers stops them all. The Canes add two more and win 6-3. to three. So I guess I'll turn this over to you, Colin. Um, what the hell happened? I mean, man, I'm still process- processing the whole thing. I, it's uh, it's not it's, it's super rare that we see an emergency backup goalie even come into the game, and and to see the Leafs just totally uh, face plant in the way they did is like, it it uh, it, it brings it it's uh, it warms my heart a little bit just to see uh, the Leafs fans suffer a little bit more. So, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's it's hilarious. Like they couldn't get anything going. Like they couldn't get uh, even. Like they, they were turning things over in the neutral zone, even if they did get into the offensive zone, like they couldn't do anything. They couldn't recover pucks in the defensive zone. Carolina was just all over them. So kudos to the Canes as well for really uh, stepping up and helping up their backup goalie and getting a couple more goals too. But uh, for sure. yeah, I, I guess the debate now is uh, uh, which one we're going to be using more to uh, mock Leafs fans. Is it going to be the emergency backup goalie or uh, or the uh, old uh, uh, it was four to one? Oh my God. I just love that there's so much material. I mean, yeah. I, I said I said on Twitter that uh, the Canes were playing that third period like the Stanley Cup was on the line, and they really were. Like, they yeah, were they diving were. after every puck. They were throwing themselves in front of shots. Like, it was insane. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. But yeah. I think Bill Carroll from CFRA Ottawa, if, if I'm mistaken on that, uh, my apologies. But um, he tweeted, he said, uh, a 42-year-old kidney transplant survivor beats a Leafs team that's in need of a heart transplant or something like that. Huh. And yeah. uh, man, I don't think you can put it any better than that. You've got all that money thrown at that team. Um, and I, I don't know, like, obviously I, I can't stand the Leafs. I wish nothing good upon them, but just from, you know, an, a third party standpoint, I look at them and I go, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of pride with that team. You know, like, like Bill, like Brady Kachuk last night, you know, his team was down three nothing, getting nothing going. Like, and I don't want to gush over Brady and dwell on him too much, but I mean, every second of that game until the time that he was tossed, he was trying to make things happen. Whether he was trying to score a goal, he was trying to set up a goal, he was trying to spark his team with a big hit or a fight. Like, he was mad that they were losing, and he showed it, and he did everything he could to get them to wake up. And I didn't see that from the Leafs, like. Uh, there was yeah, Sheldon Keefe yelling at them all on the bench during a TV timeout. And nobody would even look at him, you know. So oh, yeah. to me, like you know, I know we don't. I know it's becoming more and more taboo to talk about like you know character and intangibles in hockey these days. But I think the Leafs, to me, are proof that you can't build a team on paper and expect it to win. You know, like there has to be something there in terms of heart and character in the locker room. Yeah, and and I mean, you talk about it on paper, and yeah, on, on paper the Leafs are, are this amazing team, and and they should be, they should be well into, into a playoff spot at this point. But I mean, yeah, I guess uh, uh, 
Uh, I'm not. I, I honestly don't know entirely what's going on with the with Luis' side because it, from from outside as well, it kind of seems like there'll be stretches where they'll be going all in and they'll be on a, a winning streak and the things will be seem to be going perfectly for them. But then you have stretches like this, which are just uh, make them the joke of the league uh, again. So um, I don't know. I can't really speak entirely on on what's happening there. Um, I, I, I don't know if there's anything else that needs to be addressed, but uh, maybe the coaching change is still just uh, uh, settling in, in with some of the players. But uh, yeah, I don't know. A- any excuse to make fun of the Leafs again, I'll, uh, I'll hop on that immediately. Yeah, they got to do something, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so with that out of the way, um, I'm sure we'll have plenty of other opportunities to make fun of the Leafs, maybe even as this episode goes on. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Colin, trade deadline's tomorrow, man. Man, sends really close. a lot of pending UFAs. Down to the wire. Yes, that either need to be traded or signed long-term or longer-term, I guess. But before we get to that, um, the Sens did make a move this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, they traded Dylan DeMello to the Winnipeg Jets for a third-round pick. And it wasn't long ago that on, on this podcast, actually, I talked about how badly the Senators needed to keep Dylan DeMello and hang on to him. And time will tell whether or not I'm right. But one thing I do want to mention is I don't think I have seen Ottawa Senators fans that collectively, unanimously pissed off since the Eric Carlson trade than I did after that DeMello trade. So um, what, what are your thoughts on the DeMello trade? Um, I mean, I'm definitely part of that uh, pissed off group, I guess you could say. Uh, there, there's uh, um, not to say that trading DeMel was a, in itself is a bad thing. I think that um, there's definitely a case to be made that if the Sens are selling off all their UFAs, that Dylan DeMel should probably be, be a part of that in that um, acquiring futures for the Sens are, are even going to be more valuable than what DeMel could provide for them in the future. But at the same time, like if they're getting a third round pick for DeMel and, and just to start things off, um, I mean, DeMello is also just, he, he, he is a great player. He is the second best defenseman available uh, in free agency this year after Peter Angelo. Uh, for, for me, there, there's no question about that. His, his defensive impact, um, the, the fact that he has a positive defensive impact is something that very few other UFAs can actually say this year. Mm-hmm. And to even be a positive offensive player and to be a capable first-pairing guy on with a player like Shabbat, um, like you could even argue that his, his season has even been going just as well as Shabbat's. Um, yeah, he, he is truly like uh, uh, someone that um, in, in the sense posi- sense position that you could really see that there could be a case for re-signing him just on the basis that uh, um, like not only is he a good player, but uh, they also just don't have anyone else in the system. And, and I, I, I mentioned this on Twitter a couple of days ago too, but the sense only have three right shot defensemen under contracts <laughs> as of now. And one of them is playing in Finland. That's Lassie Thompson. And uh, the other one, another one, Christian Yaros, is uh, just coming back from injuries, has set on and off injuries. And the third one is Nikita Zaitsev, whose uh, defensive impact can't really be understated to how awful it's been this year. So to see them take DeMello, who's been their second best defenseman, and ship him off for a third round pick really just seems underwhelming to me. And it's not like DeMello has that that name factor or that or, or the point total is that would ex- that I, I'd expect him to f- fetch a first-round pick or anything, but um, it just seems like such an underwhelming deter- return for someone who's been having such a good season as, and has really been proving himself for the last couple of years as to be a good player. And I, I guess 
I don't know, maybe, maybe maybe the trade market was just low, but also this kind of seems like the Sens kind of missed on the talent evaluation at this point as well, which seems um, to which has been a concern of mine for for a while now is is how solid the Sens pro scouting um, to be in their own internal talent, talent evaluation and the fact that they've been playing some like sites of um, like significantly significantly more minutes than Demelo and, and putting Demelo on the third pair, even though he's definitely been. Uh, the best part for, for, even though he definitely was the best part for Shabbat, seems like a, a really missed opportunity. Um, so yeah, and I, I guess there's, there's also what followed that too. I mean, there's what you, you want to talk about the trades that followed after. Uh, I don't have the specifics in front of me up here, but um, to see, uh, I think there were three or four defensemen who were traded on the same yeah, day yeah, within Dylan, the hours Dylan after Demello, who have had all worse results than the Demello this season, and then they all fetched higher returns as well. So to see. The Sens kind of um, fall short on the market price here. Just it, it, it just felt very underwhelming all around. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with any of that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, uh, I I I wrote about it for the instant reaction piece there, and yeah. and that was the one thing that I really stood out to me was you know this is apparently a guy who wants to stay here. Um, it's not like salary cap is an issue. So I don't understand the logic for trading him in the first place, let alone trading him for that. And it was actually Trevor that I think said it best. Um, if that's the market for DeMello, then keep him. You know, yeah. like, like don't just trade him for the sake of trading him. Like a third-round pick, if you're not going to get, you know, the return you want, then hang on to him. Like, that's, sure. like why, why are we just trading guys for the sake of trading them? You know, if it were like – if this were Nemesnikov that we were trading that way or – Anisimov that they, we were trading that way, or, you know, we'd be having a different conversation. But this is a guy who's had a positive, nothing but a positive impact ever since he got here, right? To, to yeah. pull a positive Corsi number on this team for two years in a row is, that's bananas. You yeah, know? exactly. Like, how bad this team has been possession-wise. Even when they had Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne, like, they still sucked. They were still the worst possession team in the league. So you have a right-shot defenseman on, you know almost a league minimum contract and he's and he's outperforming everybody else in terms of possession numbers and you don't want to keep him especially when you only have a third round pick at you i, I don't get it but i mean yeah we'll, we'll see what happens yeah like it's 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 just one of those things where it's i don't know man like i really thought i was going to have more articulate thoughts on this by now but I, i'm still pretty angry about it to tell you the truth um, yeah and more than angry, I'm just confused. I mean, you know, you talk about wanting to build a culture and, uh, you know, that culture should start with guys who want to stay here and guys that are clearly good in the room. Like, you know, everyone loved the mellow and, you know, he was a content king. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean sure. yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. But yeah. with that said, um, let's get right into the guys who are pending free agents. Um I figured we'd go through them one by one, uh, the guys who are candidates to be traded by the Sens, and we'd just kind of give our thoughts on if they're going to be traded, what they could be traded for, maybe even where they're traded to. So let's start with a guy who has been held out of the last two games. Um, it appears that him being traded is imminent, but nothing has happened yet. Uh, what are your thoughts on Vladislav Nemestikov, Colin? Um, to me, Nemesnikov has been just an okay player this year. He's just kind of been a, a, a guy, which is the term I've, I'll probably be using for a lot of these pending UFAs. He's just been 
someone who's been around has had an okay impact on the sentence, particularly defensively. And it's just a matter of like recouping whatever value they can get for him. And I guess Nemesnikov is a bit more unique because they traded for him at the begin- beginning of the year. It was a fourth-round pick in an AHLer for him, which to me was a bit of an odd move, move at the time. But I guess, I, I mean, it, it's still defensible con- considering how low of a price that is for someone of uh, Nemesnikov's caliber, I guess. So um, it, it was it was capitalizing on, on uh, some good trade value at the time, which, which I'm fine with, even though they didn't really need him. But uh, I'm just hoping that they can flip him for something more than that. And if they can, then... Um, I guess he's been one of those decent insulators in the lineup, and then they just get a little bit of profit off of it. So uh, that's really my hope with Nemestikov. Um, I, I, I hope they trade him. If they, if they keep him and they let him walk, I mean, then that's just some lost value from the earlier trades. So um, I don't know. My, my thoughts really just don't go much further than that, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think I differ a little bit from you in the sense that I think Nemestikov has been a little bit more than just a guy. Um not that he's, you know, had any kind of crazy impact or anything like that. But I, I do like the move looking back on it. I think he added to a little bit of forward depth that they needed. I'm glad that they traded for Nemesnikov rather than calling up Batherson earlier than they did or something like that. Or trying to sandwich him into those third, fourth line minutes, you know. So I don't, I don't mind the trade. Um, I think he's done well on the penalty kill. Uh, he's not a beast in really any aspects of the game, but him and tyranny have been solid on the penalty kill. They've got some shorthanded goals this year. So I think he'll get moved and I think Ottawa will maximize. <clears throat> I think they'll maximize the return. I think they might even get a third for him to tell you the truth. If, if, yeah. if, if you get a third for Dylan DeMello, you know, if that's the return there, then there's no reason that Mesnikov shouldn't get a third, you know, totally. especially, yeah. um, especially with some of the, some of the ways we've seen teams, I don't want to say overpaying for forwards, but like, you know, doling out some some hefty price tags for these forwards, right? Yeah. So I think Nemesnikov will go, and I think Ottawa will get a decent return for him. For uh, sure. The next guy who was held out of last night's game against Montreal, um, probably been the surprise of the season in terms of Ottawa's uh, free agent acquisitions, Tyler Ennis. Colin, I'll let you go first there. So I just want to add something more to Nemestikov. It yeah, just sorry, seems like there's, there's been a bit of bit more talk around the league of, of teams being interested in Nemestikov. Yeah, so yeah. it just seems like there's a bit of a weird amount of interest around him. So if the Suns can get a third, I actually don't think that's all that unlikely at this point, given uh, the interest and in, in how, uh, I guess, the perception seems to be at this point. Yeah, but yeah, Colorado's, yeah, Colorado's been connected to him, and it's been mentioned that they don't want to give up their first. So I'm sure they would be... You know, with all the injuries they have up front to Kadri and Rantanen and all those guys, I'm sure they'd be willing to give up a third for Nemesnikov. I would, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, for sure. And, and I guess if we want to move to Tyler Ennis, he's, he's, I see him similarly to Nemesnikov in that the Suns just really need to get some value for him instead of letting him walk. But at the same time, I feel like Ennis has been a significantly better player than Nemesnikov this year too. For sure. Um, he's. He's he's really gone under the radar, I think, this year. Uh, but he has been one of Ottawa's most effective forwards, period, this year. And especially on offense, he's he's been one of the team's better offensive catalysts. Uh, defensively, his impact has been uh, very strong. Uh, he draws a lot of penalties. He takes very few penalties. I, I mean, there's just really nothing not to like about Ennis. And he seems like the exact perfect rental player for any team. But at the same time, like the Suns really have no use for him at this point. And it seems like... Uh, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just I'm just happy that this is the free agent signing that really worked out for the team, I think. Um, 
unlike some of the other ones, but uh, I think Hennis has really uh, uh, done a solid job of, uh, of again, being like an insulator to some of the young guys. Um, and he and he has played with uh, um, some of the younger guys too, especially with Colin White too. Um, I feel like um, when White started being paired with Ennis, uh, it started to give him uh, a bit more of that boost. Uh, the Suns started to get some more time in the offensive zone. White had to uh, rely less on on, uh, on, on making things happen uh, on his own. So um, I think he had a good positive impact that way. But yeah, it's just a matter of uh, <laughs> trading him at this point and and uh, and hoping that they can get uh, some maximized return for him because really uh, he isn't going to have much value to the team going forward given their uh, rebuilding phase and a pick, whatever it may be, will probably be more valuable to uh, the direction that they're headed. It's funny that you mentioned that because there's been a, actually a decent, a surprising contingent of people that wouldn't mind seeing Ennis re-signed. Like, what, what are your th- what are your thoughts on that? Um. I, I can see I, I can see the logic behind that because I don't expect the sense to be good next year. Um, again, so seeing him as an insulator again um, feels kind of a repetition of this season um, because again he he has been a solid player. I mean he can kind of be like kind of think of him as like the the forward version of Dylan DeMello in a way. I think he can uh, really hold hold himself with with playing with top players and um, but at the same time I expect a lot of these young players to be progressing in, in the NHL next year. And I, I don't really want to insulate them in the AHL as much. I want to give them more opportunity. I, I want to see them being given more opportunities to succeed and develop in the NHL because the NHL is also a place for development too. Uh, yeah. it, it's it's player, players are going to be making mistakes inevitably. So and they'll need to learn how to do that in the NHL too. So um, that, that's I, I've I've kind of been hoping that this season would have been more of of that time for for players to do that when there's even less expectations than there will be next year. But um, so I can see the logic behind that, but at the same time, I feel like uh, I'd hedge my bets right now and and see what they can get for Ennis. And uh, I mean, if 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 teams really aren't offering anything for Ennis and there really is no market for him, then um, sure, I, I guess maybe maybe take a look at resigning him. But I feel like uh, whatever they can get right now is just going to have more value to the team right now. Yeah, I'd like to see Formanton in his spot next year. Um, I, I guess That's a good point. Yeah, people. It's the same type of player, right? Formington's got that kind of speed. Um, yeah, he's more. I think he has more of a two-way game than Ennis does. The main argument that I've seen for keeping Ennis would be the veteran presence. Which I mean, let's let's be honest. Like Ottawa is going to need some vets next year. You can't just run a team of twenty-year-olds and expect to win at the NHL level. You know. Um, that said, um, I, the the one of the main arguments I've seen for keeping him is secondary scoring. But my, my problem with that is the Senators don't have primary scoring right now. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> they, can't, they can't score to begin with. Like Brady Kachuk, uh, Pajot, Connor Brown, and Duclair, who has, for the most part, completely dried up, have been the only guys that have been producing offense for the team this year. Even Shabbat's having a down year offensively, right? Which, Which yeah. is not a knock on him. Like, he's having to do everything on the back end. So, yeah. you know, so, but, but I mean, so I get it. Um, I, I wouldn't hate it, to tell you the truth. But um, but for now, I would rather see them kind of move on from Ennis, if, especially if they can get a good return for him. There's no reason why they wouldn't be able to. Um, there's so many teams that are dying for a skilled winger that can score, especially like, you know, the Oilers have been one that's been thrown around. I think mainly what I've heard just, you know, through the analysts and whatnot have said that um, have said that they would be surprised if he went to Edmonton, which 
nothing the Oilers do makes sense to me. Like, why would you not jump on Tyler Ennis? Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah. Um, so moving on from there, uh, let's talk about a guy who didn't sit out last night, um, which I think surprised some people. Let's talk about Jean Gabriel Pajot. Oh yeah. Um, I I really honestly. Uh, I, I've mentioned this a couple of times recently on Twitter, but yeah, I just really don't know what to think of this. There's so many directions that this could head. Uh, I don't know if you want to break it down in, in into more detail, but um, there's just so many directions that this, this could head. There's so many different scenarios that could play out that there really could be positive or negative uh, outcomes depending on whether he resigns or whether he's traded. So um, I personally sit in the camp where I think that um, a trade overall would be more beneficial to this team for the same reason I stated on uh, on guys like uh, Ennis and Mesnikov. The, the draft picks in the return that they'll get will, will probably be more worth it to this team going forward than than what Pajot is going to provide the, for this team for however, however many years he's, he's going to be uh, um, staying around on on this uh, on whatever proposed contracts uh, he may be requesting. But um, yeah, uh, at the same time though, I mean, I just have a soft spot for Pajot. I mean, he's He's decimated the Habs in the playoffs. He, he scored four against the Rangers. He's just uh, another a great past who's been with the Sens for a long time now. And um, yeah, uh, he, he, I also just need to mention this as well. I, I, I guess I, could, I took a bit of heat on this on Twitter yesterday, but uh, even just saying like pa- Pajot has been a really good player this year. I mean, he's he's been one of Ottawa's uh, top offensive players. He leads the team in goals above replacement and. Uh, Expected goals above replacement too from uh, evolving wild. Shout out to them, um, but yeah, he's he's especially great defensively too. Um, so to say Pajot is yeah. a top six center, I think is is not really that bold of a claim to make considering how well he's been doing this year. And uh, and uh, so I could I could see the value of of having him around. And of course, uh, he isn't. He's still only twenty seven too. So. Um, it's not like we're signing a 34-year-old to a three-year deal or anything like that. Um, it's not. It's not going to be like extremely risky. Um, but yeah, I, 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 whichever way the sends go, I just hope that they either get good value from a trade or that they sign him to a good value deal. If they get an underwhelming return or they sign him to an overly bloated contract, then that's when I. That's when you start really getting into uh, the, the the failure territory with with these negotiations. But um, yeah, uh, whichever way they go, um, it, it really feels like it could go either way at this point, which is yeah. feels really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, there's positive and negative outcomes on both sides. Yeah, I've been in the fir- I've been firmly lodged in the trade Pajot camp since about November, and yeah, I remember when I first started saying it, man, I got attacked. <laughs> like people were not happy with me for saying trade Pajot. But here's kind of where I stand on it. It's, it's like you mentioned yesterday, you know, you were talking about guys with that kind of level of impact are hard to find. So here, here's my thing on it. The word is that the market's been soft on him, right? And that's what we've heard from guys like LeBron and Friedman. So my deal is this. If the market is soft and if you're not going to get at least a second round pick and a prospect for him, keep him. Right, like, like I, I don't understand why we would even enter, entertain the notion of trading, like you said, a good second line center for peanuts. You know, again, we're just getting, getting into in. this trade him for the sake of trading him territory. The other part of it is I don't think it's any secret that Pajot wants to stay. That's yeah. true. Like this guy, yeah. like 
this is the thing that frustrated me about the DeMello trade too. We're not exactly swimming in guys that want to play in Ottawa. You yeah. Know? You know. Like there's not, they're hard to come by. Like we all know why we know ownership and we know, you know, whatever. Like there's, there's not a lot of reasons that guys want to come and play in Ottawa. So you, now you have a guy who the whole thing is kind of eerily reminiscent of Kyle Turris, isn't it? You have a guy who's like, who, who's a good second line center, maybe a one B at his best. And he wants to stay and, you're not going to make the effort to re-sign him. Like, I, I don't know why the hell contract negotiations just started now. Oh, like, yeah. Like this yeah, week. Totally. That doesn't make sense. You know, like, what are we doing here? Like, this guy is your biggest your biggest trade asset. But more than that, if you decide to keep him, he's going to be one of your biggest assets going forward. Yeah. So if you can get this guy on a team-friendly deal, which I'm sure won't be a problem, if you can get him between, you know, four and four and a half million for three or four years – then I, I just don't I don't get what we're doing here, you know, like I, I'm I'm trying to stay articulate about it, but it's it's it gets frustrating, you know, like, like yeah, it's the other part of it is I don't understand why there wouldn't be a market for him, like have the I think other teams are devaluing guys because they play in Ottawa now, like I think I think probably what's going on is teams are looking at Pajot like. Oh, you know, he's getting these extra minutes and that's why his offensive numbers are inflated and there's something to that. But it's like you said, you know, it's his underlying impact that really sets him apart from other players. Like Colorado, they don't have Nazem Kadri the rest of the year and you're telling me they're not interested in giving up a second and a prospect for Pajot? Are you kidding me? You know, like what are they doing? What do they think they're going to do? Who's the other center on the market that they're going to get? Yeah. You know, so to me, this shouldn't be a discussion. If if the offers are there, then you trade them. It sucks, you know, especially for the sentimentalists among us. But you got to do what's best for the rebuild. Trading a 27-year-old center with an injury history for a good return, that's not something you get the opportunity to do very often. Totally. But if the offers aren't there, then you have your second or third line center for the next two or three years. A guy that can kill penalties and a guy who's great in the room in the community, beloved by fans. There's like To me... There's there's only two ways to go about this. And I think, you know, there's been rumors that he might go past the deadline without a new contract. I'm not as worried about that as other people because even if he does, I think they'll do it knowing they can get him re-signed, you know? Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I don't think they'll do that worried that they can't get him re-signed. Like, Mark Stone, they knew if they didn't get past the, de- past the deadline with a new contract, he was gone in the summer for free. So Pajot is a little different, but to me, if the return's there, trade him. If it's not, sign him. Like, I don't get why this is hard. I don't get why contract negotiations just started now. Um, I think he'd be a hell of a, you know, I think he'd be eager to stay. So to me, it's just about Ottawa's got to make up their mind. Like, especially now, now you got to trade him and like three or four other guys before three o'clock tomorrow. Yep. So it, it doesn't it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and uh, the market really should be aligning to get a good return for Pajot too, right? Like you see, these centers are dropping like flies on uh, just getting injured one after the other. It seems, and and Pajot just keeps getting better with every game too. It seems as well. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, there's just really no other centers on the market this year. Um, I mean, unless the Rangers are looking at Ryan Strom, I mean. And even then, the Rangers seem to be searching right now. But yeah, there really is nobody else uh, 
on the trade market as heavily and as good, even close to as good as Pajot right now. So, um, yeah, you're right. It, it really does kind of um, seem a bit confusing why teams are, are, are not really willing to give give this up. Um, maybe they're just playing the Suns' hand and, and trying to wait things out, see if uh, they'll lower the prices. But at the same time, maybe uh, maybe the Suns are just putting out this this uh, um, this aura that they're trying to re-sign him to maybe drive up the price too, which I, I don't know. I, I seem pretty skeptical of that notion, but um, it seems like they do really want to actually try and come to a deal with him. But um, yeah, it just seems a bit confusing why uh, um, at least the perceive uh, from from our perspective, it seems like the, the trade market isn't really all that high on him right now, which was like the total opposite of what my expectation was about a week ago. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. Like it's just the whole thing is confusing. I don't understand why people aren't ponying up for him. I don't understand why if the Sens want to sign him, they just decided to make the effort this week. Yeah. You know, when they've had all season and since last summer to do it. So I don't know. Um, I, I, I like the fact that they were kind of probably seeing what they could get for him. But to me, if you were going to maximize your return on Pajot, this trade should have happened in November, December, right? Like that's, I think we all knew he was going to cool down with the rest of the team. Like, I don't think we thought December was sustainable when Anthony Duclair was leading the league in points for the month of December. Yeah. Pajot was leading, and Pajot hit his career high in goals in what I think it was early January. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that shooting percentage was unsustainable. I just hope if they do trade him that they don't botch it. But I mean, like, going where this is headed now, if they do decide to trade him, I just, I feel like they've already screwed it up. So the best course of action now would be to sign him to a deal, to a team friendly deal. That's what I think. I mean, they waited till the 11th hour to trade Mark Stone, and that return was underwhelming. I love Brandstrom, but I mean, getting a first, get, not getting a first round pick for Mark Stone was unacceptable. You know, yeah. like there's no reason <laughs> that should have happened. Yeah. Especially Very if true. the extension in place. But another guy who's a center that could possibly be on the market that it worries me that we haven't heard a lot about, Chris Tierney. Um, uh, it's kind of been one of the running jokes on Sense Twitter, my thoughts on Chris Tierney. Uh, but I'll let you give yours, Colin. Like, where, where do you think things are going to go with Tierney? Um, I'm kind of just in the dark on this one, honestly. It, uh, it really seems like... <sighs> I, I don't know. It, 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 we just haven't heard his name all that much in trade talks. Uh, it doesn't really seem like there's much interest from the sense side in trading him. We haven't heard any uh, negotiations from an extension either, although I guess based on history, the, um, the Suns usually like to wait a lot on their RFAs. So um, to me, it seems like the type of guy that they'll just kind of keep around for um, just to be someone who can be in the lineup while, the, while their centers develop. So um, but if Pajot gets re-signed, I mean, he really has been a redundant player all year. Um, I mean, Pajot, I think, has been an arm and a leg above Tierney's play this season. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, uh, he's just he's just been someone who can insulate the 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 young centers in the AHL while he can play in the NHL. So, if maybe I could see it as an off-season trade because he still has that restricted free agent status, and I could see that being appealing to teams. So I don't think it's exactly. Uh, um, I don't think I don't think it's exactly an emergency to trade him now if they sign Pajot. Um, so I could see an offseason move definitely being in the books if they give an, an extension to Pajot. But um, as for the deadline, I really just don't see anything happening with him. He could probably be staying. Uh, I, I definitely see him staying for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm in the same boat there. I don't think he gets traded. 
just they've got too many balls in the air right now. And the problem is too that I think his status is so dependent on Pajot, right? So if Pajot goes down to the eleventh hour and they get him signed or they trade him or whatever, then by that point it's too late to do anything with Tierney, right? I think I that's that. the big thing. I think I think Tierney is waiting on Pajot and not the other way around, you know. Um, like you mentioned, Pajot was a vastly, vastly better player. Like it's it's not close in my mind. Um, yeah, agreed. Like Tierney is Tierney is not he's not bad, you know. Um, he's grossly inconsistent, which I think has been my main gripe with him since he got to Ottawa. You know, he shows flashes of these, you know, this second line center play, and then he'll go twenty games without a goal, and it's like, well, what what do we have here? You know. I, I still don't really know what we have in Chris Tierney. Um, I, maybe it's not fair to try to come up with a value judgment on him just based on who the Senators are personnel-wise, you know? Like, you got a yeah. guy playing with Vladislav Nemesnikov, and, you know, it's hard to generate offense that way. I don't think... I think it, he could get moved. I think if he does get moved, then we know Pajot's staying. The problem is now you've got all these centers... And you've got so many guys in the system too, right? You got Logan Brown, Josh Norris played his first game last night. There's way too many centers in this organization. So to me, it's time to make a decision. You know, like if you're going to, one, you still need a number one center, which hopefully they can address through the draft, um, whether they end up with Byfield or Rossi or Perfetti or whoever, right? Like that's hopefully a guy who in the top 10 who can be a number one center for them. Yeah. But, um, but beyond that, you have Pajot who can maybe play second line center. I'm more comfortable with him being a third line guy on a good team. Um, but from there, like you're gonna have Brown, and you still have White. Jesus, like I love Colin White, and I keep forgetting about him. Um, so to me, yeah. decisions have to be made. You know, so like you said, Tierney's an RFA. He could it, this could go to the off season with him. I don't know. Is he a guy you're comfortable having around long term? Uh, maybe not particularly. Uh, I'm not really confident in his defensive abilities either. I think him and Duclair as a pair have been uh, pretty gone under the radar a bit as a bit of a, a defensive liability. Oh, that line was abhorrent. For this team. But uh, uh, at the same time, I mean, he's only 25 still. So it, it's not like, I mean, he, he's in those prime years. I, I, I mean, I don't expect him to really get any better, of course, but um yeah, I, I I just don't really see his place in this team's future. But at the same time, having that depth and having that kind of, um, if players don't end up panning out, then it's good to have someone like Tierney instead of just having to having to make a yeah. waiver claim or have a plug in, in that spot instead of him. So, um, yeah, I definitely see this going more in the off season. Um, going more into the off season, we also just haven't heard Tierney's name come up in in, in Never. trade talk yeah. at all. It seems so. Uh, yeah, that, that's just, just kind of where I stand with him at the moment. I don't really think we'll hear much of him in the next few days. Yeah, my only issue with it is when you, you mentioned him as a depth forward, right? And I don't see him playing any role other than that. The issue is when you think depth forward, you usually think defensively responsible, right? Like, you're talking depth forward, you're talking about a guy who you can throw out, you know, you're talking about a guy who when you go on the road, you know he's going to get matched up against the other team's top guys because they have last change and you're confident in him that he's not going to, you know, just fall apart in his own end. 
So I, I and my issue with Tierney in that role is like you mentioned, he's not he hasn't been defensively reliable. So what's his role? You know, that's the thing I've kind of struggled yeah. struggled to figure out about him since he's been here. Is he a second line center that's gonna put up forty points? We saw glimpses of that last year, right? And in uh, San Jose too, yeah. Yeah, and in San Jose too. And then this year he's I think he's leading the team in shorthanded goals. So is he a penalty killer? Like, well, we've seen glimpses of it. Um, I just don't know what we have. And I think you're getting to a point where you need to have your guys solidified for the future, right? Especially if you have two top 10 picks coming in next year who are hopefully both going to make the NHL out of camp. And you've got rookies coming up like Brown and White and Norris and, you know, Batherson and all those guys. You need to know who your guys are going forward. And I don't see Tierney as one of those guys. You know, I see in that department, I see Brady Kachuk, I see Pajot, I see Duclair, I see Connor Brown. And unless I'm missing somebody, that's that's about it at forward, right? Like, would you disagree with that? Yeah, uh, even some of the other, even some of those guys I think could be on the fringe too. But yeah, that's about it. Yeah, so I, yeah, sorry, Pajot, obviously, if you're planning to keep him, right? Like, um, but yeah, so if those guys are your core and the rookies and whoever else and free agents are going to fill in from there, where does Tierney fit in? I don't see him fitting in. I think if they can trade him by tomorrow, great. Um, hopefully someone will panic and offer up too much for him just based on injuries and whatnot. But like you, I, I, I see it extending into the offseason. Uh, one more center to knock off our list who actually played the wing last night is Artem Anisimov. And, man, he's been kind of an enigma this year. Like, he's got – like, he's got quiet, – he quietly has 17 points in 44 games, which for a bottom six guy, is it's pretty good, right? Like, he's not – He's not been he hasn't been horrible this season. So um his name has been thrown around a little, I think, but you know, I think the fact that he played last night isn't encouraging in terms of a trade. Where are you, where are you thinking on Anisimov, Colin? Um, I mean, as a player, he's really just a shell of his former self. I mean, we can't forget that he used to be a legitimate top six player in the NHL and and uh and he used to be like a, a prime candidate around uh, to, to be a, a yeah, he, he 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 was a good player, but he he really just hasn't shown that as much this season for me. He, it, you're, you're, as you mentioned, he he really just is kind of an enigma. We really don't know exactly what to expect from him on any on any given night. Um, but at the same time, he still has one more year left on his contract. So um, again, just because we really haven't been hearing much of him, and also because uh, I guess it also kind of relates to tyranny as well. Um, Pierre Dorian only can make a certain amount of moves by himself. He's the only guy who's really doing stuff like that he doesn't even have an agm to help him with these trade talks so uh he's only gonna he's only gonna be able to do a certain amount of stuff uh make a certain amount of trades um and it just doesn't seem like an easy mob is gonna really fit into that and i guess to maybe a lesser extent as well guys like mikhail bodker uh, and scott sabaret do maybe fit into that mold just because maybe teams aren't even gonna be offering anything up for them and i guess i kind of see the same with an easy mob teams may not even want to take on uh, him knowing that they have another year of his contract as well. So um, I, I don't really think there's a market out there for a guy like Anisimov or the other two guys I mentioned. Um, but uh, as a player, I mean, if, if he'll probably, if he sticks around for next season, he'll probably be more of the same, just more uh, of a kind of inconsistent guy that we, who's going to be playing in a depth role that we just really, uh, maybe you'll get a good, nice shot out of him one game, but maybe he'll go blank for the next two. So um that's really kind of my read on him right now. I got a trivia question for you, Colin. Yeah. When was the last time Artem Anisimov played a full 82-game season? 
Uh, that would be in 2011-12. Uh, You're close, 2010-11. Oh, got it. I, I, I have something up here that kind of gives me an idea. So. Gotcha. I'm, I'm, I'm half cheating. <laughs> so this is a guy whose career has been riddled with injuries, right? The closest he came to last playing an 82-game season was he played 81 in 2014 with Columbus. Okay. So now we're talking about a guy who's 31 years old on, let's call it an inflated cap hit. Yeah. Um, you know who hasn't played a full season in almost 10 years. Yeah. Um, I I think teams might be willing to pony up if Ottawa retains salary, which there's no reason they shouldn't, right? Like, they have all the cap space in the world. They struggled to hit the floor this season. I don't see it happening either, but stranger things have happened. Um, I think teams that are hurting for center depth with all the injuries right now could potentially look at him. Um, but, I mean, like I said, we're talking about a guy who's 31, can't stay healthy, decent point total this year on a crappy team, but, I mean, it's not so, looking good there. Also, just, just financially speaking, he seems like the he really does fit as, like, that perfect player for Ottawa financially just because he – his his salary is is much is much lower than his cap hit right now, and he's, yeah. his cap hit is, is four point five five million, and he'll only be making uh, th- three million next season. So that's kind yeah, of funny how that works in, out in terms of, in terms of the types of players that the sense of uh, been targeting contract wise. He seems kind of like that ideal fit, uh, even though he isn't really an ideal player, I guess. But uh, yeah, th- that's the sense for you, I guess. Funny how Ottawa always goes after guys like that. Eh? I wonder what the reason for that could be. Wonder what it is. Yeah, yeah. but I mean. Yeah, I don't see an Esmov going anywhere, but I mean, stranger things have happened. Uh, yep. I think he could be next year's Bodker. I really do. Um, Very true. I think, yep. Yeah, I think he'll be the guy riding the press box for most of the year next year, which, I mean, it sucks. Like, as hard as we are on on Bodker, for example, the guy's been a consummate pro since he's been in Ottawa, right? He hasn't yep. said boo. When he's gone out, when he has got playing time, he's done his best to go out and make an impact. Like, you know, we're all over Mikel Bodker a lot, but... This whole thing's really not his fault. He didn't make the trade, you know. He didn't get fleeced by the Sharks, like. Yeah. So, very so true. kudos to Mikel Bodker. Mikel, we love you. We just, you know, it's just not going to work out. Yeah. Um, and I believe that leaves us with one more pending free agent. I think we have this two more. On... Two more. Who am I missing? Uh, Ron Hazy and Craig Anderson. Oh, see, I wasn't. I wasn't even considering Andy. Oh yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So way to ruin my segue, Colin. Ah, but uh, but yeah. So let's talk about Hainsey. All right, uh, sure. You see, this is one for me where you know I think a lot of people are looking at him like, no way Ottawa's going to be able to trade him. I feel like if I had to bet on one air quotes surprise happening tomorrow, it would be Ron Hainsey getting traded. Maybe not so much now because. The Sens are really hurting for defensemen right now. Yeah. Uh, Boro's out. Shabbat's, you know, probably out. I, I doubt he plays tomorrow. Um, and now, you know, you're, you're missing DeMello. You don't want to call up Brandstrom or Willannon or from the AHL. So maybe not so likely anymore. But I think they're, I think we'd be surprised if we had the inside scoop. I think we'd be surprised how many teams were at least kicking tires on Ron Hainsey. What do you think? I totally agree with that. He, he's he's kind of one of those guys who has who has a Stanley Cup. He has that veteran experience. And I don't know if you remember, but from it was just three seasons ago that Ron Hades, you went for a second round pick at the trade deadline to the Penguins. That's true. 
So <laughs> he, he, even though he is 35 and he's definitely an ineffective player, um, he definitely checks a lot of the boxes for, for teams that will be looking for deadline players. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's not like the defensive market is, is, is all that saturated anymore either because so many uh, defense were traded earlier, um, like in the previous week. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if teams are calling on Hainsey, um, like you said. Uh, actually, I, I feel like it it should it should be expected of the sense to trade Haydensy, just given how uh, his status and, and 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 how little he's actually providing to the team this year. I think, um, but at the same time, I mean, we we saw the rumors about a month ago that the Sens were apparently looking to re-sign Haynesy, which still confuses me to this day. I don't know any reason why the Sens would look to try and bring him back, um, given how poor he's been playing this season. Um, he he really has. I say he's a shell of his former self, but even in even his former self, really wasn't that effective of a player. But yeah, it, I just don't really see any reason. Uh, I get, besides maybe just because DJ Smith really trusts him to uh, play in the tough moments in the games and give him some defensive responsibility, which he really just hasn't been uh, uh, suited for this year. So um, he, to, to me, he seems like the perfect guy that the Sens should be trying to trade. That he, he should be t- calling every team about uh, seeing what, what picks they can get for him. And should have traded him yesterday, but yeah, I, I again, the Sens only have so much they can do in one day. I mean, it's it's just about uh, 26 hours until the deadline hits, so um, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I I just haven't really been impressed with how with the rumors that have been circulating. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna take some heat from for this. This is probably gonna surprise some people, but. I'm not pissed if the Sens re-sign Hainsey and bring him back for one more year. I'm really not. Um, we talked about wanting to insulate guys, right? Realistically, do we want, you know, JBD or Lassie Thompson or whoever making the jump straight to the NHL next year? Probably not, right? So if we're going to have an NHL core that contains Shabbat and... You know, Brandstrom, Willan, and Boro. There's space there for someone to fill in. Um, and if it's going to be Ron Hainsey, that's fine by me. If only because, like you mentioned before, we know the Sens are probably not going to be competitive next year. I like having Ron Hainsey around because you're not likely to find a smarter hockey player. DJ Smith mentioned earlier in the season that Hainsey's like having another assistant coach on the ice, right? So maybe he can't do it with his body anymore, but he can still do it with his brain and he can still coach up these young kids, right? Like we talk about, you know, veteran influences and blah, blah, blah. But I really do believe that having Hainsey from a hockey IQ standpoint is going to help guys like Shabbat and Branstrom and Willannon going forward. So, and even then, maybe he can even parlay that into an assistant coaching job when he's done playing, right? Like, I would love having Ron Hainsey on the assistant coaching staff. So, if the Sens can trade him, they 100% should. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't trade Ron Hainsey. But I think if you can't get anything for him and you do want to bring him back next year, it's not the end of the world, you know? Like, I don't know. You probably disagree with me on that. Yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I I definitely disagree with this. Actually, I I mean, for, for me, I see Hainsey as more of a failed experiment in this way. Okay. Um, he he was playing with Brandstrom at the beginning of the year, and that pairing was a disaster. Yeah. Brandstrom was was a shell of, of of his former self. 
Uh, Hainsey couldn't help him in any way. Uh, if Branstrom ever tried to uh, make some sort of fancy play, um, that he he can do like comfortably in the AHL. Uh, Hainsey just couldn't help him out at all. And it, uh, it I, I don't know, that, that beginning of the season really kind of um, was a bit deflating for me just watching Branstrom because I knew he could do so much more. But it seemed like maybe it was also being partly held back by by uh, by the coach, uh, DJ Smith, just not um, maybe trying to hold him back, trying to be more defensively responsible when his his goal should be to be an offensive defenseman, which we know he yeah. can do. Uh, and having Hainsey there as well just really just didn't help at all, it seems to me. And uh, it, it, you're right that there is going to need to be someone on that right side for the sense going forward, but I just don't see that person being Hainsey. I, I could have there's so so many better options out there and that's i think that says a lot considering how weak i think the ufa market is this year oh yeah just having he's yeah he just really hasn't had any positive results he, he sinks the team's offense when he's on the ice he he, he gives up a lot more when the, when the team's on defense as well um he just hasn't been an effective player in any facet i think this year and so yeah. bringing him back, I, I can I can see what you're saying as as that leadership role, I think. But at the same time, it seems like like if he's going to be there just for leadership, like just put him in, put him in a coaching position and yeah. just just and then just call it a day. So I would totally I would totally agree with that. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with a single part of that. Um, and I, I also agree that there are tons of better options out there, but. We remember the team we're covering, right? Like uh, Dylan DeMello would have been a better option, you know? So I think just I'm thinking more like just from a kind of um, pragmatic standpoint in terms of knowing who the Sens are um, and what they'll probably do. But, yeah, like, like I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying. I'm not saying Ron Hainsey has a good impact when he's on the ice. I'm saying just having him like from a from an IQ aspect around will probably help the young players in the long run. Um, look, if he wants to retire this year and become an assistant coach, I'm all for that. Um, I don't think he will. I think he'll probably play one more year for some reason, but that's, but yeah, like that's, that's where I'm at. And I totally agree. Um, I think somebody might pony up for him tomorrow. Like it wouldn't shock me, but I mean, like I said, knowing how things usually go for us in Ottawa, he'll probably be a Senator after the deadline. Can you imagine if Dorian doesn't get Nemesnikov and Ennis and any of those guys traded? Like, what a disaster that would be. Oh, yeah. It'd be a, that'd probably be... Uh, I remember talking at the beginning of the season and about what would make the season success and just trying to build up that those future assets was a major part of that because the season isn't meant to be... season wasn't meant to be for winning for the Sens. And no. I feel like this trade, trade deadline in the next 26 hours are really going to be uh, um, defining whether the season was was what was a success or not and it's really going to be coming from the front office so yeah it's oh man i mean it's not like they're they don't have enough draft capital but i think in a year like this you can never have enough yeah and getting some young players some actual prospects that are already beginning to develop wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either but letting all those guys walk in free agency or man yeah that would not be that would not be good for ottawa and it's it's making me nervous, to tell you the truth. Like, it's coming down to the wire. We're almost 24 hours away from the deadline now. Uh, obviously, this episode will be going up, you know, probably Monday morning. But, uh, but yeah, man, like, that's 
that's scary movie. That's scary yeah. that that could yeah. be happening. It, it's, it, it, it reminds me of that meme of like that that uh, that cartoon with the stick just poking and saying "Do something" at the sense logo. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's where I'm at too. That's just me with Pierre Dorian right now. Just do something. Yeah, I'm a little nervous though because I was thinking do something early last week, and then they shipped the mellow off for a third round pick, and I'm like, okay, wait, not that. Yeah, so, <laughs> very true, very true. So I don't know. It's like a be careful what you wish for thing. Would you rather them do something and screw it up, or would you rather them do nothing and screw that up? Like, it's beginning to, you know, I felt like a month ago, it's funny, I felt like Ottawa was in the driver's seat in terms of the trade deadline and everything. I felt good about their situation, and now. And now I'm starting to get nervous. Now I feel like things are coming down to the wire and they might be in trouble. Yeah. At the same but, time, though, I feel like the DeMello move was probably the worst obvious thing they could have done. Yeah. And, and I feel like with that kind of out of the way, uh, I mean, it, it still makes me pissed about that, about that they traded DeMello for such a low return. But at the same time, I mean, uh, if, if they just keep getting draft picks, I mean, just keep bringing in the draft picks. I'll be... Uh, Keep, I'll keep simulating the lottery. I'll keep being happy. So. Yeah, me too. And you can even trade some of those guys, some of those picks for players, right? So, I mean, you can never have enough. Uh, did you want to talk about Craig Anderson? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't really have too much to say about him, I guess. Um, uh, him and, I guess, Mark Borowiecki maybe even, even may be in kind of a similar situation. Boro seems to be safe right now because of, of the injury. But Craig Anderson as well, just because Anders Nielsen seems to be out for, for a bit longer. It seems like... Uh, Anderson's gonna be sticking around, which I think is a decent thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess there there probably could be a market out there for Anderson, but just to see him uh, finish off his career, I, I'm assuming this will be his last season um, with, with a sense as the best goalie in the in the franchise's history. I mean, that that'll be uh, that'll be a nice to see in his uh, final game. Yeah, he does. He deserves to go out as a senator. And, you know, go out on his own terms. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm not. Look, if they can get something for him and he wants to go and make a playoff push, then I'm all for that, you know, best to him. But, I mean, I'm also okay with keeping him around. The problem is I don't want it – and I mentioned this on last week's episode. I don't want this to come at the expense of Marcus Hogberg, right? Because he's yeah, playing yeah. really well. Like, he's he's an NHL goaltender. Like yep. that's, that's just the, bottom, the long and short of it. He's given up a lot of goals in the last couple of games, in his last couple of starts. But, realistically, how many of those were his fault? You know, like they played, they played a good Winnipeg team two times, um, and he got kind of. Did oh no, Anderson started the first Winnipeg game. My bad, but um, but yeah, so he's in a situation where his save percentage is pretty high, all things considered. He's not given up too many goals for the most part. Um, he doesn't look like a guy who belongs in Belleville. You know what I mean? Especially considering he spent parts of the last six seasons in the minors. Yeah. So. As long as it doesn't entail Hogberg going back to Belleville, I'm okay with it. If you want to send Hogberg down for the playoff push for Belleville once they make the playoffs, fine. You know, that's good. But it'll be such a ripple effect if if they hang on to the three goaltenders and, and keep Hogberg in the minors. Because now, once you get there, one of Gustafson or Decord has to go to Brampton, probably, right? And then... Both those guys have been playing really well. Gustafson was goaltender of the month in January. like So you're hurting the development of these kids at that point. So if you want to keep all three of Hogberg, Anderson, and Nilsson in the NHL and kind of rotate them and put one in the press box every night, I'm cool with that. You know, if you, Even if you want to have Andy back up every night and have Nilsson and Hogberg eat the bulk of the starts, I'm good with that. 
Um, for sure. But, but yeah. to me, it just it can't come at the expense of Hogberg, you know. Yeah, and I, I've been in this camp for for a little bit, but I've I've been in, in uh, firmly in, on the side of of trading Anders Nielsen, and and for all those reasons you stated. But I guess now that he's injured and it seems like he won't be uh, healthy in time for the deadline, that it seems kind of out of the question at this point, unfortunately. But yeah. uh, I thought he would have been able to get a good return on the market and and, and again help with. Uh, uh, getting Hogberg more NHL time while still being able to hold on to Anderson, but that seems out, out of the question at this point. So yeah, uh, I don't st- sticking with a three-headed goalie monster for the final stretch, maybe not even the worst thing in the world. So yeah. I don't think you can trade Nilsson just because if you do, what are you? What the hell are you going to do next year? You know, goalies are. Let's be honest, goalies are voodoo, right? Like you know, yeah. like it's you never know what's going to happen. So to me, if you have Hogberg you know, as your starter next year and you want him to start the season as your number one, that's fine. But if he falls off a cliff, what are you going to do? Right? Like now you're in a situation where you don't have likely, you don't have a competent backup and you know, so now you're still having Hogberg eat most of these starts. He's getting lit up every night that may cripple his development, which may set the rebuild back. Right. Obviously, they have a lot of good goalie prospects in the system. But to me, you got another year left on Nilsson's contract. Him and Hogberg's contracts are up at the same time. I'm much more comfortable having a Nilsson-Hogberg tandem next year just because that way you can have some stability. You know, we know Nilsson's a solid goaltender, maybe not the starter of the future for the Senators, but he's a guy that'll win some games. So I would much rather have those two guys next year. Um, I think that'll be more valuable to the rebuild than any return Nilsson could get you. Um, because that way, at least next year, you know, who knows, maybe they can push for a playoff spot next year, right? Like with the roster they'll have, with the picks they can get, you know, they might, they may, they might make some noise next year. Um, and to me, that's something that would be more valuable to the rebuild than maybe setting it back a little bit by trading Nilsson. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I totally, I, 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 I agree with that too. I, I think it's nice to have a contingency plan. Um, I, I, I mean, it all depends on what the market would be for Nielsen as well. There's, there's always so many factors that can go into these yeah. things. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that is a good point. Uh, I mean, if they were to trade Nielsen, I also wouldn't be too uh, hesitant to look at the goalie market as well. Um, I, I don't think that uh, the options for goalies here are, are actually that bad either. So, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, it, it all seems out of the question at this point now that Nielsen's uh, still out and injured. But, uh, yeah. Perfect. All right, so that takes us through our little trade deadline segment. Um, you want to answer some questions? Sure. Perfect. What do we got? So the first one comes in from Joe at Slowhands. We got a Sens Twitter all-star sending in, sending in a question to internal budget. How awesome is that? Yeah, Joe. So Joe asks, what's a comparable ceiling for Josh Norris? Colin, I'll let you hit this one first. All right, so I actually did a bit of thinking about this beforehand, and the player I came up with is Wilkin Couture, who... Just let me break this down, but I mean, he, he he was never a superstar on the Sharks, but he was always a good um, high-end offensive player uh, who could be a very reliable player at both of the ends of the ice, too. He was, he was uh, reliable offensively and defensively, uh, maybe never got to that uh, uh, top-line role, um, but he's always been... Uh, um, but he, he's always been a very impactful player for the Sharks. And keep in mind that this is, I think, Norris's ceiling as well. Uh, I mean, Couture is obviously a great player. And uh, and he, he when Couture also came out of the NCAA, or no, not NCAA, when he came out of juniors too, uh, he also did similarly to Norris, and he also uh, tore up the AHL at a very young age. So um, 
that's kind of how I got my comparable player. Um, I, again, I see that as kind of Norris's ceiling if things go right for Norris. And I mean, he, he's been uh, trending upwards in his development, then I could see this as a ceiling. Um, obviously, I, I think Norris maybe follows a bit more uh, below what Couture is doing. But uh, uh, I mean, if things go right, having someone similar to Couture on the sense couldn't ask for a better development prospect. No, for sure. I think Couture is probably best case scenario. Yeah. Um, the way I saw it kind of going, and maybe I'm a little more pessimist, pessimistic than you are, it would be Kyle Turris. Um, kind of that, uh, I mean, I mean, prime Kyle Turris, obviously. I, I, that kind of 1B center guy, you know, not your franchise guy, but a guy that can play first line minutes on a playoff run. That's kind of where I see Norris. Um, he's got a good two-way game. Couture, Couture, I could definitely see that happening. And I would be thrilled. I mean, you know, that would make the Carlson oh, yeah, yeah. trade a home run pretty much. So definitely, definitely could see either of those happening. But if I had to lean more towards one, I would say Turris. Um, we got some questions from the DMs now. Um, this one comes in from Ryan. If you had to keep one of the remaining FAs other than Pajot, who would it be and why? Um, That's a bit of a tricky one. But I think I'd probably say Tyler Ennis, just for the reasons I think I've already stated. He's been one of Ottawa's... Uh, a better uh, he, he, he's been one of Ottawa's best forwards so far this season and uh, to, and to see him have that kind of impact I think makes him a, a perfect uh, insulator for the bottom six of course I still think that trading him is the, is the best option and seeing what return they can get will uh, be more valuable to the sense in the future but bringing back Ennis I, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be totally against that yeah me neither I think uh, I, I gotta agree with you there I think Tyler Ennis would be the guy I would bring back um you know, having him in that bottom six to add some secondary scoring would be huge, especially if the Sens can find a way to actually start just soaring, scoring some goals overall. Um, so next one comes in from Nick. How will the Sens address the current need at defense? Uh, obviously referring to the fact that, you know, they're incredibly injured on the back end right now. They've got some AHLers at best on their NHL blue line right now. They just signed someone else too, Hubert Labrie. Oh, they signed Labrie? Yeah, they signed it. Well, yeah, pending it'll be pending his whether he clears, clears waivers tomorrow. Oh, okay. Well, perfect. Well, that's another AHLer. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, do you think there's anything else? Do you think maybe they add another defenseman at the deadline, or maybe even just another pending UFA guy, just to kind of uh, fill the hole? I, I hope not. Uh, it, the Sens really should not be buyers at this time, especially given that everyone else is going to be a buyer. They should it should be the team entering that market. Um, I think signing Lebrie actually is probably maybe the best option they could have done, because it, it's it's it again it, it 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 insulates the guys in the AHL while keeping while bringing up someone who uh, really is not going to be effective and it's going to be kind of <laughs> helping that tank too. So yeah. Um, I really just hope they don't buy anyone. Uh, I think they just got to stick with what they got, bite the bullet on this one. Um, it may, it may not, uh, it may be, a bit, it may be a bit frustrating for the rest of the players, but uh, hey, it's what they got to do for the for this type of season. Yeah, I could definitely see Dorian panicking and adding someone. You know, nobody spectacular that he would have to give up a ton of assets for. You know, maybe like an AHL defenseman for a six round pick or something like that. <laughs> but I mean. Damn, like that blue line is just a dumpster fire right now. Oh, yeah. So if you're bringing Labry into the NHL, who does that leave you with? That leaves you with Nikita Zaitsev, Ron Hainsey, Mike Riley, Andreas Englund, Labry, and Yarosh. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, my God. The rest of the season is just going to be unwatchable. Yep. 
like, oh, God, please, Shabbat, I will give you my my knee. Just come back, please. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Um. Okay, and <laughs> Axe Maddie wants to know your top five albums of 2020. It's kind of early for top five, Maddie, but, I mean, I'm sure Colin will do his best. Man, yeah. Oh, no, I, I got so many I, I can talk about. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I'm a bit of a new new music obsessive, so uh, I'll, I'll just go from five to one. Number five, uh, Keely Forsyth, Debris, uh, a nice ambient pop kind of uh, avant folk album that kind of reminds me of, of Nick Cave's more recent stuff. Uh, number four is Dan Deacon, Mystic Familiar, a uh, psychedelic pop album, a very rhythmic, very driving album. Uh, love it. Uh, number three is Against All Logic with 2017 to 2019. Um, it's a very uh, hypnotic kind of IDM record from, from Nicholas Jar, uh, awesome producer. Uh, number two is uh, Cindy Lee, What's Night to Eternity. Uh, I just got, I just listened to this one for the first time last week. Um, experimental chamber pop. Um, yeah, it, it's just very, uh, she really pulls out the book on that one. She, she's based out of Toronto too, which I think is pretty cool. And number one is uh, HMLTD, West of Eden. I actually just bought this on vinyl last week. It's a nice uh, glam punk revival record, which I think is super cool. Uh, they, they're just really bold, based out of London. Uh, love that band. So uh, I could talk about music for hours. <laughs> if you want to hit me up in the DMs, I can talk about music all day. So, yeah. Love it. Not only is he an analytics expert, but he's a music expert. <laughs> uh, Colin, I have actually have a question for you that... Uh, we're going to put kind of put you on the spot here. Why sure. the hell aren't you a member of Ice Coffee Hive? Ooh, uh, I don't know. Just coffee's never really been a, th- a thing that I've been into. I try, I try to stay off the caffeine. Um, I don't know. But it's uh, just never really been a thing for me, I guess. Should have talked about this before. It would have been a much shorter podcast. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, I think that covers everything. I think we've covered the deadline now as best as we can. No moves appear to have happened um, other than the lab resigning, which was news to me. I mean, I'm thrilled about that. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, I, I feel like it is going to be a busy next couple of days for the Sens, so stay tuned. Hell, maybe we'll even get this one posted tonight just so we can uh, so we can get it up as soon as possible so we don't miss anything. Uh, so, de- so, yeah, Colin, thank you so much for being the first guest in internal budget history. Awesome. Uh, it's, it's been an honor. I, I really appreciate your time. You taking the time out of your surely busy day to talk to me and talk some hockey. Uh, yeah, uh, cost per point cast. You guys have a new episode coming out tomorrow, I think. Yeah, tomorrow we'll have a new episode. Or on uh, yeah, tomorrow we'll have a new episode coming out soon. So cool. What platforms? Is it Apple, Spotify? Uh, yeah, you can find us on on Silver Seven. Will be posted, but yeah, you can also find us on Apple, Apple Music, uh, Spotify. Uh, yeah, a- anywhere you get your podcast, you can find us. So. Beautiful. All right. Make sure to check out Cost Per Point Cast. It's a hell of an awesome show with uh, Trevor Shackles and Colin. Once again, Colin, thank you so much for joining me. This has been episode six of Internal Budget. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Share with your friends. They'll love it, I'm sure. Who doesn't want to listen to Colin for an hour? Make sure you follow Colin on Twitter at CutmoreColin. As always, I'm Brandon Mackey signing off on this one. Thank you guys for listening try to enjoy the trade deadline let's see what happens take care and i'll see you all next week